Welcome to The Creative Classroom, an EdTech podcast series where I chat with industry experts about tools, platforms, technologies, and software that could potentially help you transform learning. My goal is to provide you with an honest opinion on the tools we talk about from money, accessibility, and so much more. My name is Brian Ouellette, and welcome to The Creative Classroom. On today's episode, we talk with our product specialist from Ava Educational Solutions, Craig Ecclestone. Craig is the manager of instructional education and innovative STEM at Ava and has over two decades of experience with sensors, probes, and software, all in support of schools. Sensors are often overlooked as an essential tool in support of the 21st century learning, but they've come a long way from the old hardwired sensors that needed a PC to run. I remember connecting the old blue sensors when I was running labs in my uh, in high school. They, you needed to connect it with a long wire to a laptop or something, uh, and then you kind of had to wait for that data to, to record. And that was the old blue uh, Pasco sensors with green writing on it. You actually see those around in school still today. I mean, they still work. They just require you know a hardwired connection, which you know is it, there's no fault to that, um, and they're still very reliable. The new Pasco sensors have updated. They're Bluetooth capable, they connect to a tablet or to a handheld uh, device, and that data is instantaneous. The beauty with these sensors is that it records the data, puts it into a table of values for the user, and if you choose to see the graph instantaneously or whatever you want, the SparkView software basically allows you to see everything you're collecting on the spot. And some of these sensors actually have this integrated data collector inside the unit meaning you don't need to carry your tablet or whatever out into the rain. You can have this sensor outside, it's collecting the data inside the uh, inside the unit, and then basically you go back inside and connect it to your tablet, and there you go. You have your data, everything you've needed, um, and it gives you your information. It's crazy to think that some of these sensors uh, have you know so many capabilities within them. For example, the weather sensor is one that I've used quite often uh, from Pasco. It's a, it's more a recent sensor, and Craig talks about it here on the episode. Uh, not having you know not high demand, but it's not maybe well known here in North America. But this sensor has 16 different sensors and capabilities packed into this little unit. It's basically a weather sensor, a small microclimate uh, sensor that allows the user to see their longitude, latitude, position. Uh, you can check out you know, barometric pressure, temperature, everything that you'd wanna do if you're outside looking to get some readings. What's also interesting about that sensor specifically, and you can tell that I really enjoy it, uh, is that it has an integrated uh, data logger inside of it, so you can set it outside of your classroom, which is what we did, set it up outside, um, you know, as the old show used to say, set it and forget it. And then when you're ready to go, bring it back inside, connect it to whatever you're using, and then look at the data. What's nice about all of these sensors is that it gives data purpose and it shows the students why we collect information. There could be some faulty experiments. There can be some faulty data as well, but it's all relevant data to what you're doing. So you know what, we're gonna geek out about sensors, we're gonna talk about all these uh, tools and how they can be used in your classrooms. Craig walks us through his top five must-have sensors for teachers, and you know what, when you look at money, uh, some of these have a high price point for that weather sensor specifically, is in the $500 range, give or take, but you know what, you don't need 30 weather sensors. If you only have a small budget and you can start off with five, 
start off with five. Put your students into groups of three or four or have them rotate through stations or, or daily challenges with these sensors. We don't need to set out an army of sensors to kick things off in a classroom. We really just need to identify its purpose, which one do you want to use, and then build from there. Maybe the first year is five weather sensors and then you build on five more and then you choose a different sensor for the following couple of years. But really find your base, find your purpose, what's your need and what's your use, what's your grade level, who are your clientele and what are you trying to look for. Really, you know, in my opinion, the weather sensor is the best bang for your buck. You get about 16 different sensors inside of it. Data collection is unreal it comes with lessons built into the SparkView software you know there are other sensors too i'm not trying to take away from the other sensors the smart carts are fantastic uh you have the temperature sensors i also love the heart rate monitor but we can go on about different things and what's their purpose is but we all know classroom teachers and schools have a limited budget that limited budget can be you know spent quite wisely on a weather sensor as a starting point for a classroom looking to use this technology uh, in their in their classroom. All right, so let's head on to the to the episode. We're talking with Craig Ecclestone from Ava Educational Solution. He walks us through sensors, what they do, how they work, and obviously he kicks into his top five. So stick around and have a listen. You might just hear something useful. Welcome back to the Creative Classroom. We are joined today by Craig Ecclestone from Ava Educational Solutions. Craig, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today uh, from Ava. Yeah, well, Brian, thrilled to, to be here on your inaugural show. This is this is quite a an honor. So I, I hope I, I'm, I prove to be an engaging guest. Oh, I think it'll be great, and our listeners will be happy to have you. So, Craig, tell us a little bit about Ava Educational Solutions and what your role is with the company. Okay, well, Ava Educational Solutions has been around for about 12 years. Um, we represent a, a lot of different uh, companies around the world trying to bring uh, K-12 and post-secondary solutions uh, to, to the Canadian market. Um, my focus is on a, a product line called Pasco Scientific, which has been around for 55 years. It's, 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 it's our, you know, our bread and butter business here at, at, at Ava. Um, it's, it's what was the company was founded on a partnership from with Ava and, and Pasco. And, um, it, it specializes in instructional technology, specifically tools for collecting data and analyzing data as well as, as well as more conventional products. But I'm, I'm involved with the, with what's called uh, the, the sensor range of technologies for the most part, um, trying to promote the use of those. Uh, my, my official title is. Um, manager of instructional technology and STEM innovation. So uh, I do whatever I can to help, you know, integrate this technology into the classroom from, you know, being an evangelist trying to get people to see the, you know, the inspiring reasons why you might want to use this technology, um, what it can do. Uh, that's probably my favorite part because <laughs> that's that's where I get to be creative and 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 get to get to really try to persuade people. Uh, but then I also help them with the specifics of, of, of getting equipment into the classroom. Um, you know, what's going to help meet the outcomes of their curriculum, what, what's, what's realistic to do, you know, year one, year two, those things. I work along those lines. And I, I also get involved with the training and, and tech support. So pretty much all, like, I have lots of tentacles in trying to, to make this a successful technology in the classroom. And you know what, you mentioned this partnership with Pasco, and I think that's really where we're looking to dive in a little bit is into these sensors, probes, uh, you know, SparkView software. That's all something that comes out of Pasco. 
so it, you mentioned earlier K to 12 is where you're where, where you guys try to focus but are these sensors and these probes designed for uh, K to 12 yeah well they that's, that's a good question they're, they're used um, and it's hard I don't want to pigeonhole you know where they're exactly relevant we sometimes get industry coming after us and people in, in, in the in the you know outside of education uh, but we do mention that that, that, that you know the, the, these tools are designed for education. Um, you know, when you when you look at what we try to do with tools, you know, we, we have, you know, 50 to 70, depends on how you count them, different types of sensors, all needing to work with a piece of software, all needing to be user friendly, all needing to be robust, all needing to be all these things that's required to have them be successful in a classroom, um, where a lot of times, you, let's say, if you go into industry and they're just looking for a humidity sensor and they want it to be hardwired to something and, and, and so forth. Um, and if you're looking in, in the in medical or, or into research or in some of those particular areas, you know, they use maybe similar tools, but they're probably 10 times the price and obviously well beyond what, what, uh, what, uh, what schools could afford. So we, we, we try to bring technology uh, to the classroom that does the job in a user-friendly way that's, um, that's not price prohibitive. And there's a, a couple of compromises, obviously, in order to do that, but we think we do a pretty good job in coming out with, a, a, you know, Pasco does a very quality product that, with, with great data uh, that's very relevant to the curriculum. Yeah, and, and you know what? I've had a chance of using a lot of the, the sensors and, and, and probes uh, that you guys do have to offer. And just, you know, kind of a bit of a timeline. Uh, I'll date myself a little bit, but back when I was in school, uh, we had this hardwired blue Pasco sensor that would even connect maybe to the TI-83 or something like that, like almost like a motion sensor, if you will. Is that, or my, maybe I'm, I'm way off. Well, no, no. Well, this is, it's interesting. Well, you, 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 you're dating yourself. I, I'm, you know, when I was in school, they were using Commodore 64s to, to collect data. <laughs> so it's, uh, <laughs> which I'm not sure how many people in your, in the audience would even know what a Commodore, Commodore 64 was, but um, but in any event, uh, yeah, so we, we've had over the years, the, 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 the tools, so just to, to, you know, just to draw a picture of what the tools do, um, you know, we basically collect real world data. It could be temperature data, it could be pH, it could be uh, humidity, it could be motion, it could be all kinds of data, any kind of thing that you could measure um, using instrumentation, you know, that would be relative to science, we can, we can probably do. Um, and so we capture that data. Um, and then convey it to a computing device. Now, in, in the old days, it would have been, you know, an Apple or a PC. Um, but over time, it's evolved to, to be all kinds of, of different devices from your phone to a Chromebook to an iPad, anything that runs our, our software. Um, and so it's, it's really broadened because now the technology is all wireless um, and, and communicates through Bluetooth, which has opened up all kinds of possibilities to bring down the cost and make it much more practical and doable to bring into the classroom. But back in the day, um, you know, uh, when you probably were back in school, you needed to take a sensor, uh, a blue sensor. Prior to that, they actually had a range of black sensors, so you're not that old. Um, yeah, so you're actually in their second generation of sensors. The first generation of sensors that uh, came to be in, in the early 90s, uh, they, were, they were black sensors that plugged into a very big box, that plugged into a, a computer. Um, and, and the whole thing was very expensive, but also really exciting at the time because for the very first time, people were able to clap, you know, collect data and, and get it onto their computers. And really, these sensors provide like real life instantaneous data for, for people to really like investigate and look at. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 that's that's the key for from the day one when these probes were first being uh, researched um, at the uh, as 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 an, as an educational tool when they're trying to look at the benefits of using sensors in education. This is going back in the late 80s when they were doing reports on this and they're saying, what's what's the reason why you would use probes? And and the main benefit of using these probes is being able to get real world world data back to the students in a meaningful way so they can figure out what's going on in their experiment so they can they can they can have that immediate feedback if you contrast that to let's say a conventional way let's compare using a, a, a thermometer with a, a probe a, a temperature probe if you have a thermometer you, you place it let's say you're just looking at the cooling of something or 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 the let's say an exothermic reaction or something where something's heating up quickly. Um, well, if you're going to use a thermometer, you need to you know, capture that data quick enough that you're going to actually get the characteristics of the rising temperature. Right. So right. you're going to have to, you're going to have to, you have that thermometer, the thermometer is going to have to react fast enough and you're going to have to react fast enough to get that information on there. It's unlikely you're going to be very accurate in doing that um, and getting that information there. And the experiment might take, you know, you, you add, uh, you know, something that reacts and that, that causes the temperature to increase. Um, you know, the experiment may take a minute or two and you, you might want to get, you know, five or 10 points on, on that graph if you're lucky or sorry, in, in that table, because you obviously you first have to produce a table and then you transpose that information into a graph. Well, the time it takes the student to take that table to data, you know, they put down the time for what happens, you know, five seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, what's the temperature? And they break down that. By the time they produce that data, or build that table, table and then transpose that into a graph, um, you know, it, it's very unlikely that it happens even within the period. You know, often it's something that has to be done as homework and they bring it back. But even if they did it within the period, you pretty much use the entire period to do that. You can only do the experiment once. You can't change any variables. You can't do anything. Um, and it really becomes more of a recipe because time is of the essence. You have to get it done. And, and what is the higher order thinking that actually occurs during an experiment like that? Contrast that to using a probe. You put a probe in there, it collects the data, conveys it to a computer uh, where the computer brings it back to the students in a meaningful way so they can see exactly what's happening when it's happening. Um, and, and then you know, when you've done that experiment, rather than taking an entire period, you've only taken a matter of minutes, then you have the opportunity of saying, okay, well, what if I change some, some variables? What if I play around with this, get different results? Um, you know, the whole idea is you can now do experiments more than once if the experiment itself is, is, is only going to take a few minutes, five, 10 minutes, or even you can still repeat experiments. Um, so it gets kids to, to start asking questions, be much more investigative, to, to engage them in a way that they've never done before. Going back to that study that was done, you know, in the early 80s, though, you know, one of the concerns people had about um, the computer producing the graph and doing all the work, one of the interesting things that was discovered is that the more you get students to actually read and interpret graphs, the better they are at building their graphs from scratch. And they've actually have uh, data that backs that up, which was one of the unexpected benefits of using using probes. Everyone thought, oh, I don't want the computer to do everything because the students won't know how to produce the graphs. Well. You know, it just like uh, good writers are first good readers, right? And, and first, if, if students can learn how to read a graph, uh, they're going to understand what the graph is meant to do. And when they go and have to actually produce a graph from 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 a you know set of table data, they're not going to get their y and x axis mixed up. They're going to understand what 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 the graph is supposed to do. Yeah, it's a valid point. Applied learning, right? Rather than just memorizing the pages of a book, you're actually applying it. You find use. 
and hopefully take that question of uh, why do I need to know this away um, and they see the value and they see it being applied either in a lab or whatever that they're doing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about how your, your tools can really help, you know, um, amplify the learning environment, provide these students with opportunities uh, to engage in a learning opportunity, collect the data. So let's do uh, like a quick top five. And I've used a lot of the Pasco sensors. I've used a lot of that, of those gear. Um, what would you say as we transition towards a new curriculum, most of the provinces now are adapting a new curriculum or, or evolving it uh, to meet the 21st century needs. If teachers were looking at purchasing or schools were looking at purchasing sensors, Let's go with Craig's top five. Okay, well, and, and that's that, that's that's a challenging question, but I'll do the best I can because it, it's often dependent upon uh, budget and, and 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 priorities, and every every school is different. But you you want to obviously get the biggest bang for your buck um, as to what you can do. So, you know, starting from our roots, uh, where we started from. If you're a, a physics teacher, all right. Um, Let's let's look at that group to start off with. Um, you know, we, we have a, a variety of, of physics products, but the one that I'm you know would be my top one would be the the, the wireless smart card um, because there you have a single product. Um, you know, in physics they always look at um, you know they they, they want to look at uh, you know motion and forces and these kinds of things. And 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 historically what they've used is is a cart on a track um, because that provides a a lot of opportunities to be able to to you know change the various forces and parameters and in a, in a, in a way that allows them to, to you know, quantify it. And historically, they've done it by using motion sensors and photo gates and external sensors to the cart. Um, and it was a fabulous solution adopted all over you know, the world. Um, and, you know, because of that, you can find Pasco carts and tracks everywhere. Uh, and but about four years ago, they decided to uh, see, you know, take that product that's been very successful and see if we can make it even better. So um, what Bluetooth te technologies allowed us to do is actually take all those external sensors or what the data that the, those external sensors provided and put that directly into the cart. So the wireless cart has, um, it, it has a position sensor, an optical encoder that tells you the, the position of the sensor or of the cart as opposed to a motion sensor that would do it. Um, it's proven to be much more accurate um, and and e much easier to set up. It also has a force sensor. It has a gyroscope in there. It has an accelerometer. So it's got all kinds of different different sensors in there. And that one product in, in, in physics can teach your kinematics. It can teach your dynamics. It can teach your momentum and impulse. It can work in energy, Hooke's law, uh, even harmonic motion, all within that. So it gets it's it's a huge it's it's it's, it's it would probably be on the top of my list as far as what products going to get for any particular subject is going to get you the biggest bang for your buck. So I'd put that uh, for any any one course. Then then below that, uh, the, the the next sensor, I guess, would be in my top five. I'd, I'd have to take I'd have to say the temperature sensor. Um, and, and the reason for that is is because um, it's used everywhere um, in, in pretty much all the courses and its cost. Um, I'm not going to give you the price right. It's hard for me to give you the price because we've had to make a temporary adjustment because of the massive decline in the Canadian dollar over the past week. It was $79. I'm afraid it's going to be a little bit more than that. But it's, you know, for $79 um, last week, who knows what, uh, <laughs> and hopefully it gets back to that price point. Um, but last week was $79. And with that one probe, um, you know, you can, you can record 
you know, temperature changes and, and have that onto the computer. If it's a Chromebook or a portable computer, the software is a free download. Um, and literally that's how inexpensive it is to get the technology in, into your classroom. We're talking $79 um, if, if you can use a, a portable device. And it's, it's something that can be used in you know, chemistry, physics, biology, and all the way down uh, through, the, through the lower grade. So it's, it's the most ubiquitous sensor. Um, and uh, so that one, that one would have to be uh, is because of its price point and because of its, 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 its relevance to so many different areas would, would, would definitely be on the list. Um, uh, other sensors now you're going to, you're going to, I know that you're, 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 you're fond of, uh, the wireless, uh, weather sensor that we have. Um, and it's, it's in, yeah, well, it's been really, uh, I'll have to say it's been, it's been a very successful sensor for Pasco more in their international markets than, 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 than domestically, um, in the U S or in Canada, but it's been extraordinarily popular throughout the world. And, and we, 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 it's been popular in, in Canada as well, but just not to the same, same degree. Um, it's called, a, you know, we call it, we don't know what to really call it. We've been calling it a weather sensor. Um, but the problem I have with a weather sensor is like in Ontario, they've taken weather outside out of the curriculum. Uh, so what I generally refer to it as is a, um, uh, a microclimate sensor or whatever, because what this allows you to do is take readings of, of wind speed, uh, temperature, humidity, barometric pressure, uh, light. Um, I think in total there's about 16 or 17 different parameters that it can it, it can it can measure in, in a device that can be held in your hand or put onto a small little tripod. So unlike the weather station that's up on top of your ceiling um, or on top of the roof. Um, of your school, this can be placed anywhere in, in, in your environment. So it really allows the student to have control of the data that they're going to collect. And, and so, and, and, and get an appreciation that the weather, you know, is, is really dependent upon where it is positioned because you're going to get different weather at the north part of your, you know, north side of your school than you do in the south side of your school. The weather is going to be different in, in a forest than it's going to be in a field. Um, when you define weather as things like, you know, the humidity, the temperature, and those sort of things, it's it's uh, in in that respect, right? The microclimates, and and you know, that's that would you know, I think it's it's, it's really 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 interesting, and it's as I say, it's got uh, it's got such such a wide wide range. The, the other thing it has, it it has GPS built into it as well. So here's an opportunity that students can use to to actually you know record on a satellite image. That can be uh, imported directly into the software. So you know, you open up our software. That's the same software you use to use with the motion sensor or the smart cart. But you can open up a window that will have a satellite image that will then place those readings, those specific readings for you know the north side of the school versus the south side of the school, right on a map that the students can see. And that just is so inspirational for the students, absolutely. You know, to be able to see that. And for them to really see what it is in their own backyard, right? Like you carry this thing outside and you see this GPS map all of a sudden, you're like, this is where I am. I'm that dot. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I remember the very first time I got this sensor, um, it, it came in. I was so excited when I got it. I got it late in the day in my office. Um, and and I, I didn't know what to do with it. But because, you know, with so many different parameters to be able to measure, I thought I, I got to think of something I can do with it really quickly. And I thought, okay, it's got a built-in GPS and it's got a wind speed sensor, all right. And and uh, so I thought, okay, it's it's very calm outside. So I figured if I ran, there's no wind, but if I ran, I'd create my own wind. So you know, 
indirectly, you're going to be measuring the speed of my of, of me running, and I was going to compare it to uh, the GPS readings I would get for speed as well. And and so I thought okay, that was going to be my first time I ever used it. And and so I went outside, and I ran across the parking lot, and I ran back, and and I collected my data. Um, I'd like to say that I went inside and uploaded it right away, but unfortunately this was after hours and everyone had left and I left my keys inside the office. And so I was trapped. I could not get back into my office. So this is starting into a good story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm often reminded of that when I, when I, when I, when I tell people, so I actually had to call a colleague of mine to come and open the door for me. So half an hour later, I bring it in, I upload it. And I was absolutely amazed at how closely the GPS data correlated with my data and and it was it was almost spot on and so then i uploaded it and i've actually referred to that um that uh uh that data because as i said it, it, it put all that data into a into a graph so you could actually see my charted path where i where i had actually ran to and where i had um and and what the data points were along along the route because um, you know it also simultaneously collected the temperature and, and the humidity data as I was running. But the interesting thing about the the satellite images is the satellite image was obviously done several years earlier from space, and but it was the same parking lot. But at that time, the satellite image had a whole bunch of cars in the parking lot. Well, when I ran across, there was nothing in the parking lot. There was no cars, so when I ran across. Uh, but it looks. And you can see the trek. It looks like there's all these cars along the route. So, so when I bring this up, I often say I'm a very athletic person because, as you can see, I had to leap over these cars as I was running. And and not everyone sort of realizes it's a joke. <laughs> say, well, you oh, know, he... that's funny too, though. Like when you think about it, you know, even for students or, or or any scientist using this data, you know, collection piece, is that you know whether it's Google or satellite imagery, whoever's taking the pictures from above us. That itself is data collection over time. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's yeah. Not every hour that they update it, as you sit outside your office waving to the sky, hoping someone sees you, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's to that point, right? It, it's one of those life lessons as well. Like, it may not be in the curriculum, but inadvertently, you know, we're getting it because you're like, oh, wow, like, why are there cars in the parking lot? You know, and then you start going down this rabbit hole. Well, absolutely. And, and the more opportunities students have to look at data in different ways and understand what the data is, because as informative as data can be, it also can be misleading. Um, and so, you know, there there has to be some some um, some skepticism or or, or just a you know a critical mind there, right? To sort of think, okay, what am I actually looking at? Do I believe this data? Because, you know, as as I say, as powerful it is for data to be used to um, help us understand situations, it can also be used for evil, should we say, for people to manipulate manipulate other people's ways of thinking as to how they present that data. So it's so important that people understand the data that they're looking at and that we educate our students as much as we can to, to understand what, what it means and be be critical thinkers of, of you know, uh, of, of even uh, interpreting, you know, if you, if, if you don't really understand the data, you're gonna to come to wrong conclusions. If, if, you, if you're putting, if you, if you believe that, you know, satellite image was just done while I was running, you're gonna actually believe that I jumped over cars and so forth, which of course it wasn't the case. So the, the, the next one would be, I would have to absolutely say would be my CO2 sensor, carbon dioxide sensor. I absolutely love the sensor for a number of reasons. Um, the CO2 sensor uh, measures gaseous CO2 levels and um, it can measure gaseous CO2 levels either in real time or uh, well connected to a computer so you can see things being collected or you can connect 
collect remotely, uh, meaning that it's storing data in its memory, not transporting it to a computer right away, but storing it into a memory over time. And then at a later point, you bring it and you upload the data to a computer and then see the graph. Um, the reason this is one of my favorite sensors is that, as I mentioned earlier on, uh, you know, our initial customer was probably physics teachers, right? Um, and since early on, we, we've expanded the, the appeal and the usability and um, uh, of these sensors into other areas, uh, you know, going all the way down to elementary schools and so forth. Um, but probably second to physics, we got chemistry people on board because they loved the pH sensor and, and you know, you know, the temperature sensor and, and the spectrometer that we have. Um, they, you know, they, they, they love those particular sensors. So that would, um, um, so, so they were probably the second largest group. Um, you know, biology, uh, they were far behind. Uh, and I'll tell you why, because, um, you know, biology by nature, the experiments tended to be involved, just even setting up the, the labs for an experiment it tended to be involved. Forget about probes altogether. There's lots of things that a biology teacher needs to, to put together in order to have a, uh, an experiment. And, and if you threw a technology in there that was not convenient or required, you know, another investment of time in setting up and, and distributing and so forth, the popularity of a lot of our sensors out in biology outside of, let's say, measuring your pulse rate, some physiology sensors were popular. But for just doing general biology, it really just was the few diehards that, that adopted it. The CO2 sensor has changed that radically um, because uh, in any curriculum, you know, looking at, uh, you know, respiration rate, photosynthesis, or if it's an environmental program looking at you know, sources of pollutants and these kinds of things, it's, it's always key and instrumental to, to, these, these, to biology. And the CO2 sensor um, is so simple to use that very quickly you can collect data and it's so responsive that if you want to do a photosynthesis experiment, you could take literally some spinach leaves, put it into a bag, throw the CO2 sensor in there. You're communicating wirelessly. So even though the, 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 the bag is, is shut, you can have a light shining on it um, and actually see uh, changes in CO2 level, right? They're going to be declining uh, within five or 10 minutes, very, very quickly within five minutes. These, these activities that you, you're kind of talking about, is that something that you guys house you know, on a, on your website, are these like tools, lessons, or activities that you share with teachers, or, or have in some sort of professional space? Well, we we have uh, all kinds of activities, like uh, anything we can do. So yes, we have um, on our site. You can download uh, actual full lab manuals that uh, Pascal used to sell for a lot of money. For you, know, you can download the, the actual teacher guides uh, in a PDF format. Now, not all these are made for our wireless sensors, but the protocols for the experiments are all completely valid. Um, and then you can also go to the PASCO site. They have what's called a digital library where you can actually, you know, search for lesson plans by topic area, um, keywords, subject, whatever, um, and and then filter out the ones that you really want. And, and uh, you know, some of them are designed around our wireless sensors, our latest ones. The other ones are, are designed around older technology, but again, the protocols are still the same. So you can take a, you know, endothermic reaction or, or titration or whatever experiment might have been written for your blue sensors back in the day um, and, and now use them with our, our wireless sensors. So yeah, lots of lessons. But there's also all kinds of videos in, as well, because I really like it when when um, both the teachers and the students um, put their own ingenuity and, and creativity in, into some of these labs, because there's there's 
you know, there's certainly going to be things that, uh, you know, we, would, we don't think of everything. And, and um, you know, if, if you can get students to think creatively and outside of the box and come up with their own activities, that's when I think you've really, really captured them. Obviously, of course, it's not appropriate for all situations. You got a, you know, a course to teach and you want to, you know, you want some data that, that's there. Um, you want some, you know, a, a proven activity that's there. But uh, even, even when we do that, I think a lot of those can just be simply a seed for a teacher to come in and think, okay, how can I tweak this to, to make it even extra special and engaging for my students based on you know, where I live and what the, you know, what their, what their interests might be. That's awesome. All right, Craig, I think we're on number five. What's your n- number five placement of a sensor or probe? Okay. I, I'm going to have to circle back to the motion sensor that we talked about early on, uh, just because if it's, if it, it does so much and, and what I like about the motion sensor and you might say, okay, I don't, I don't need to deal with, mo- you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm not dealing with motion. I'm in grade seven or whatever. I'm worrying about life sciences or whatever. And I'm thinking, what's wonderful about the motion sensor? Um, what I love is, is first of all, um, it's one of those things, if you only have a, a limited budget, you can only buy one sensor, all right? You, you, not a class set. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sensor that you can do as a classroom activity very easily. You can put it onto the screen and you can get you know, your, your students, you know, engaged into what's happening. Um, and and so, so I like it for that because it's a great first sensor to get. Um, I, I also like it because um, for students, you know, a lot of times students, high school students, really don't understand graphs because they don't really understand how to read a graph. They don't understand graphs. You know, they understand maybe how to make a graph look pretty, but they don't really understand graphs and what they mean. And you can take this sensor and put it onto a table and have students. We have a program called Match Graph. It's specific just to the motion sensor. And Match Graph, the way it's designed is that it, it has templates that students um, you know, need to match their motion to. So you could have a template with a, um, a line across, right? That, that, you know, so you have a, you know, a Y axis that has distance um, from, the, from the motion sensor and an X axis that has time and it defaults, I believe, to 10 seconds. Um, and you could have a, uh, a line going across, that, you know, just straight across, straight flat across, let's say at the 1.5 meters. Well, the students need to know I have to be standing one point, which seems obvious for anyone who knows graphs, right? It seems like a dead simple thing to do. But for a student who's not familiar with graphs, doesn't understand, you know, how y, how x and y values are plotted, or well, that that's a that might be a big leap for them, and so they understand though very quickly. I need to stand 1.5 meters away. You know, they'll get it wrong initially, but the key thing it only takes 10 seconds to repeat the experiment. But they need need they they learn very quickly. If I got a straight line, it's position versus time graph. Um, if it's a flat line, I need to stand still. Uh, and then there's other profiles where it's going to be an incline. And, and then they realize I've got to, okay, if I'm doing that, I've got to move towards or away from the, um, the sensor at a, at, a, at a constant pace. It could be a curve and all these kinds of things. To, you know, and we actually even have profiles that are absolutely impossible to do where you, you know, they're, they're, they're vertical, completely vertical. You know, they're, they're, they're sort of like, you know, they'll go straight across and drop straight down. And there's just absolutely no way that a student can do that. But, you know, in, in, in failing in that activity, they start understanding about, you know, the fact that, yes, you can't get from point A to point B in zero time. You need to actually have some time. And so it's it's wonderful for teaching students, obviously, about their body and motion and these kinds of things. But that, that the knowledge that they get is transferable to other things. They now understand graphs, that graphs 
you know, um, you know, values versus time graphs. That they measure a level of something, and they measure it over time, and and that the level is measured along the y-axis, times are measured along the x-axis. They understand that, you know, the rate of change uh, um, is reflective of how quickly, you know, the steepness of the of the curve reflects the rate of change, um, and these sort of things. And so, you know, within a very short time, you can get kids up to speed in understanding graphs. I think better than any other technique that's out there and and therefore uh, for its its ability to be able to do that it's it's it it absolutely deserves to be in the top five the ability to apply and you even talked about your your own movement to seeing how it affects the graph or trying to mimic a graph by moving your own body it truly is that applied learning that i guess let's let's even for another reason you highlight a great point there right even for another you know that's that's got to be a top of list of why emotion sensor is so fantastic you know these are real-time data and co2 obviously can give you some real-time data as well but could be a longer term experiment similar to the weather sensor could be a longer term experiment but which is you know for students as well this motion sensor the smart carts it's instantaneous you want data you do it it happens and you can see it live and in the moment you know and and, and for sure yeah they they all have this moment of of instant data but those some of them are are almost designed for that type of lab and in the end it comes down to hands-on learning you know we it transforms the classroom environment rather than sitting and getting you know you're up and about and you're trying to collect this data with purpose you see there's a purpose you see the you know where we're going with this and you're actively engaged in it rather than just being given a set of data or or an expected set of data that you should be getting talk about a titration you know you know what you're supposed to get um and if it doesn't happen you either don't know why or you know you have to repeat the experiment so this is nice to see an opportunity for students to get up out of their seats or even stay at stations in group um, and collectively collect data and then apply it with a purpose. Well, and you raised a, an interesting point there uh, about, you know, um, I guess your, your bad data, right? You, you do an experiment and, and, and um, there really isn't anything. Data is data. It, it, does, it doesn't have an attitude. It doesn't have a, you know, it, it, it's, it's not bad data. It's, 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 it, the data is good. You know, uh, your experimental technique might need work, but the data is good, you know, and, um, and and it's 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 what you do with that data, and so the learning experience and the learning opportunity of getting quote unquote bad data can be extremely valuable. It raises something, you know, you know this the, these uh, experimental issues or, or mistakes, if you will. You know, these probes and your and these sensors almost encourage you to repeat the experiment and and try again, if you will. Versus, you know, let's say we were hand collecting and I was physically timing you run across you know, the parking lot and I made a mistake and I forgot to start my stopwatch and then we got to do it again. You know, you almost have this sense of like discouragement because you're like, oh, I don't want to do all that again. But with these sensors and this instant data collection for you, it's helping you. You're right. There is no bad data. I have something here um, and it's, it's my job to interpret it and figure out either what went wrong or how can I change it or adapt it to make it better. Uh, Craig, I thank you so much for being with, you know, on the show today and, and being on the first episode of the Creative Classroom. Is there anything else that you'd like to share uh, with the listeners before we head out? Uh, we do have, uh, Pasco does have actually, I should say, a lot of uh, distance learning material that might be of interest to the chemistry and, and physics uh, people. Um, they've got a curriculum called Essential Physics and Essential Chemistry. Uh, which you know, for for anyone who's on a STEM track in their senior years, I think I think any prolonged uh, closure of the schools would be quite uh, 
quite stressful for them. You know, they, at, at that point, you're taking your education very seriously. But uh, Pasco's got some amazing um, this online textbook uh, that we don't really market too much in Canada because of restrictions on provincial adoptions of, of textbooks here. We just we're just not, you know, they just they're just not able to to jump through the hoops in order to make mm. it local enough. But really, physics is physics, chemistry is chemistry. And and the, the, this this resource is absolutely superb. It's an online textbook that has simulations, interactions, and great background information. Um, it's it's really quite special. So uh, if you um, you know visit our site, uh, we're just this was just announced. But uh, if you visit our site uh, at Ava A Y V A dot C A, uh, you'll be able to see that, or also go to the Pasco site. There'll be a link. Uh, to the to the free free resource, it's free until July 1st. So hopefully that gets us through this uh, this 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 period of time. And there's a, a license key that students can enter um, to, to 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 jump on board. So uh, I encourage people to take a look at it if they happen to be in, in chemistry or physics. Thanks so much, Craig. And you know we'll put a link of it, uh, to Ava's website in the description to this podcast, uh, and we'll try to find those resources and maybe put a direct link to it. Uh, and also probably your email address if you don't mind Craig just so if people want to reach out with questions all that information will be in the link of the podcast Uh, thank you so much again Craig for being with us on this episode of the Creative Classroom that was Craig Ecclestone uh, from Ava Educational Solutions bringing us the most recent information on sensors and probes from Pasco and more thanks again Craig